morning. Welcome to Back from the Brink. I'm Todd Brinker. Aaron will be joining us shortly. This is the After Show podcast for the Back from the Brink radio show on KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 and 102.3 FM, your trifecta of talk radio in the Inland Empire, Southern California. We are now on a podcast unaffiliated with said radio station. So we can say what we want, do what we want, and go a little crazy. Today I'm feeling sassy. In fact, I was a little too sassy on the radio show. I, I owe Aaron an apology. I was I was a little bit, uh, you know, I cut her off a little bit. I was anxious to talk. I was just, you know, full of energy today. Don't know why. It's a Thursday. There should be no particular reason for that. But, hey, it is what it is, and it was what it was. It is what it was, and it was what it is. Bah, bah, bah. We ended the show on a downer today, actually, talking about the fact that the COVID deaths have now surpassed 250,000 deaths. That's a quarter of a million people have died of COVID. And if you remember back in March, Dr. Fauci had said that, you know, if we don't, if we're not careful, this thing could get bad and it could cover, you know, we, we could see 100,000, maybe even 200,000 deaths. And here we are, you know, in November looking at a 250,000 number, and it's getting worse. And I know there's a lot of people saying, Aaron amongst them, saying we got to keep things opened up. We got to, you know, try to save our economy. Um, but people are dying. And so, you know, we've got to find that happy balance. Because um, I agree, we can't trash our economy, but we also can't set ourselves up for more family members. These are people who, who have you know, children and parents and uh, people, you, you know, friends uh, that you might know. I mean, it's getting to the point where it's, you know, it's almost hard to not know somebody who has been, hasn't been affected by this. And uh, 250,000 deaths is horrifying. It's terrifying. So, um, uh, you know, wear your mask. Do what you can. Avoid crowds. Try to stay away from people. Do your best to be safe. And, uh, and keep some space amongst you, uh, between you and others. And, uh, you know, try to do your best to get by. It is um, scary times. Scary times. That's all I can say. Scary times. Um, don't do what the politicians from California did, which is pile onto an airplane, fly to Hawaii, and have a conference. Um, as much as we all love to go to Hawaii, it's a beautiful place. It's not the right time to be having in-face conferences. You can do it online just fine these days if you just choose to do so. And yeah, you know, a nice trip to Hawaii is something that everybody probably could use right now. We could all use a break to get out of the house and go do something, right? It's, we're all tired of sitting in the same space and doing nothing. Uh, we, as, as people... Human beings tend to like variety and change and, and love the novel aspects of being able to go on a vacation and go see something new and be somewhere different. And we've got to just kind of deny ourselves that right now. We need to step back and say, nope, that's not happening, not what we're going to do. And it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but you got to think about it and say, does this make sense? Is this is this a, a safe thing to be doing right now? And in some cases, maybe. In other cases, not. 
I really think that what we need to be doing is identifying risk. We need to be able to go and say, you know, what is the risk level for us to do X, Y, and Z? You know, how much risk is involved? Is it something that we you know, can be doing safely, or is it something that is inherently unsafe? And if that's the case, then we need to stay away from it if it's inherently unsafe. But if there's a safe way to go about doing something, then then we should be able to try to take advantage of that and do it safely. Uh, but we've got to be smart about it. And right now, we're not even being given the information about what's the risk of doing something. You know, going into a certain space, nobody is telling you, hey, this space, because there's, there's very little airflow and uh, it's a small enclosed space, is probably not a safe place to meet with people. Versus, hey, this space is big and open and has lots of airflow. You could probably go there safely. Uh, you know, I mean, they say being outside is, is relatively safe. So how close to being outside are you in a given space? You know, in a giant Sam's Club warehouse, it's a quite a bit different than walking through a small bodega. Right? So here's Aaron. Happy Thursday. I want to apologize. I talked over you there at the end of the radio station. I was uh, uh, feeling jovial and jolly and didn't mean to uh, to uh, step on your clothes. So oh, you're fine. You're fine. Don't uh, worry. So uh, anyhow, um, you know, I just kind of reiterated some of the downer stuff we were talking about, but and and kind of restating my case that we need to come up with some some calculation, some method of telling people what the risk is in a specific environment. Like, you know, going through a Sam's Club is significantly less risky than, you know, stopping in a small bodega to buy groceries, you know. Uh, but not necessarily, you know, I mean, given the number of people, you know, I, if you're the only one in the bodega besides the guy selling stuff, it might be fine, you know. If you're, uh, whereas, you know, if there's, 15 people in a small, you know, 7-Eleven type store, uh, it might be really unsafe versus Sam's Club. You could have 100 people in there and, and still not see anybody, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and it's got high ceilings and different kinds of exactly uh, filtration and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, what kind of filtration? What kind of air volume are they moving through? You know, I would assume that most people working the air handlers on large commercial buildings have adjusted it so, so that they're bringing in as much uh outside air as possible which is um on on commercial buildings they have big air handler units that move the air around and you can you can adjust the amount of uh in fact you're required by law to have a certain amount but you can adjust the amount of fresh air you're bringing in from outside um and i would assume that that number has been cranked up by just about everybody in order to make those spaces as safe as possible yeah you know and i really worry about people like who, who live in in uh high-rise buildings you know, especially if they don't have, um, you know, a lot of high rises don't have any means of like opening a window to the outside world. They're, they're sealed up. And so all of your air is coming to you through an air handler and that's all through common duct work, right? So what if somebody on the third floor sneezes and that sneeze gets picked up by the return air duct and gets deposited on the 10th floor? You know, yeah. what kind of, uh, you hope they've got good enough filtration, but that's a little scary. I can't imagine living in a place where you can't open a window. I cannot imagine it. Yeah. I, I just, and, and you're right. And I, I just, 
the thought of not getting any fresh air into your into your domicile, I, I couldn't live like that. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, there's a certain amount of fresh air that's required. It's it's brought in through the air handling unit, but you don't get to control it individually. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, like opening yeah. up a, a door or a window, I know. And getting a breeze through your house. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you meant, and 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 yeah, living in the city is a different thing. You know, I think there's a lot of people who, if you open the door in the city, then you hear, meh, meh. hey, get out of my way, I'm walking here, you know, and you're just like, come on. <laughs> you know, I guess you get used to it. You're used to the sounds of the city, right? It's no. like, um, like that uh, Joe Pesci movie when he's uh, you know staying out in the in a cabin somewhere. And he 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 finds that the only place he can sleep is in the prison where there's lots of noise. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. That was my cousin yeah, my cousin Vinny. Yeah, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> it's like bail me out. I need a good night's sleep. Public service announcement. Absolutely. On a freeway, it's generally a bad idea to be merging at slower than 50 to 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, here's the public service announcement. If you're merging on a freeway and you're anywhere near me, get the hell out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) That's the public service announcement. But this guy just merged on and he stayed at like 48 miles an hour. And at that speed, it's dangerous for me to even get around him. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's slamming on their brakes behind this guy as he cuts in forces his way into the space because he's got to get over it's like come on move with the flow of traffic Uh, yeah i mean it may or may not be 55 miles an hour but i know that truck goes faster than that yeah yes (laughs) yeah unless you have the cheapest one that's got the little uh four banger engine in it which case maybe it won't go that fast but that's right no they turbocharge the fours hey i had a geo metro from 1980 1994, whatever it was. I loved my Geo Metro. Yeah, but I could get 48 miles to the gallon. I could get 48 miles to the gallon uh, with the air conditioner going, and it wasn't a hybrid. It was a three-cylinder yeah. engine that wound up like a like a little tester's motor or a Cox engine in a in a in a you know uh, uh, RF air or uh, yeah. RF airplane little, you know. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the engine the engine mounts, you could bolt it in with three bolts. It weighed 150 pounds. You didn't need an engine lift. You could just reach in and grab it. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. But I, it was I a cool little car. Some, some of those still puttering around. They weren't, they're not very fast anymore. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, I see them on the road every once in a while. And if you look for them in um, online, they're still available. People buy them, but they snatch them up. They've actually retained their, their cost pretty pretty well because they get such great mileage. But they were literally the size of a garbage can. There was no airbags or anything. I mean, it was, it was a bare-bones commuter car. They got great mileage. It, it was a lot of fun. I had a four-door hatchback which was essentially like a little miniature station wagon and you could put the back seats down i'll never forget the night i went down to pick up my uh daughter's crib and it it it, we had ordered it it came in i went down to pick it up and i brought like red flags and stuff to put on the back of it because i figured it was going to stick out and i opened up the thing shoved the crib in and shut the door and went huh didn't need anything it fit and and it's like i was really shocked it was like a little mini suv that you know, 
And it wasn't a very pretty looking car. Nobody will call it, uh, you know, sporty or anything, but it was fun to drive. It's like driving a go-kart. <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to drive a go-kart on the freeway, but okay. Yeah. Well, it was a go-kart. It got up to speed okay. I mean, you didn't have to time it with a calendar or anything, but it was, you know, it was it was no barn burner. Nobody was getting pressed back into the seats going, oh my gosh, it's hard to breathe. Um, no, it wasn't that, but... But it was okay. It was a fun little car. And it saved me. Mine accordioned and, and crumple zoned perfectly as I got rear-ended on the freeway. Uh, so, you know, it was all right. Well, that's good. So yeah. I'm sorry that I that I, I disparaged your, your 1992 or whatever it was, 94. Yeah, mine was so a 94 Metro. Geo Metro four-door sedan five-speed. <laughs> You got to be specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I to this day feel bad about doing something like that. One time, I was t- I was complaining about a rental car that I got. I got a a Hyundai Sonata, and it was just gutless. It was horrible. It was not a good car, and I was complaining about it. And one of my employees, uh, I was working at a place in L.A., um, uh, and she looked at me and goes, "I drive a Hyundai." Oh no! <laughs> and I went what model do you have? And she had the, a smaller one. And I said, well, you know, yours may be great. I don't know. You know, you may love the acceleration. You may love your car. This particular car, I didn't like. And so I, you know, I kind of covered it that way. Cause I wasn't like trashing. I guess I was kind of going off on Hyundai in general. And so I tried to make it more specific and say, you know, you're right. I don't know Hyundai. I don't know all Hyundai. I know that Hyundai in that year. Since then I've driven some Hyundais. In fact, I, had, I rented a Hyundai SUV once that I absolutely loved. I was impressed. Uh, and my folks have one now, so. So, but you know, when when any car company enters the United States market, they come in with their cheapest little four banger car. And, right. You know, Toyota did it that way. Nissan did it that way. It's called Datsun back then. And, yeah, Honda. You know, yeah. Hyundai did it. You know, Kia did it. And so they yep. come in with their cheapest low grade model. And, right. Uh, because that's 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 the the, the Elantra. Thing easiest uh, part of the market to penetrate and then the, yep. and it gets better than as they get some traction right and the sonata was their mid-size to go against like the accord and the camry and i think it was like the first generation of sonata so it was like the first step up to a slightly bigger car and they kept the same engine and everything from the smaller car and so it was just woefully underpowered and i i just and it had very springy uh, suspension, so you just felt like you're riding in this this little bouncy trailer with a gutless bouncy trailer. I just did not. I was not having a happy week driving that car. Now realize, at the time, my daily driver was my 1983 Porsche 928, so it was quite a culture shock to switch to that. Um, you disparaged your employee's Hyundai, and then you got in your Porsche and drove home. Well, I didn't because it was in the shop and I was driving this stupid Hyundai. But yes, um, yes, I was ra- I was railing on about this Hyundai. Um, and, and I'm sure my employee who drives a Hyundai is looking at me going, you drive a Porsche, you arrogant son of a... <laughs> you know, And I'm going like, um, yeah, I hate this Hyundai. Yeah, that may be the case, but I hate this Hyundai. Um, and, and, you know, shortly after that, I actually ended up buying a uh, an Infiniti... Um, uh, four-door 
sedan, their small, the small Infinity, the the uh, G series, and um, loved that car. And it also was a four cylinder. I think it only had about 145 horsepower, 150 horsepower, something like that. But uh, I got the T model with the um, the uh, uh, limited slip differential, which in the movie we were just talking about, My Cousin Vinny, they explain when one f- tire gets stuck in the mud, the other tire does nothing, unless you have limited slip differential, in which case then they both turn and they can pull you out of the mud. So that's how they that's how they solve the crime is with the limited My slip differential. That's how they solve the crime. So, um, <laughs> yes. Well, and that's this week in automobiles. In automobiles. Well, I got to tell you, I, I remember my best friend from high school, she came, she flew out because she lives in Missouri, and she flew out and, and we visited, and she saw my car. She goes, oh, my gosh, you drive a minivan. And at the time, I had an exchange student and two kids, and the kids were playing mm-hmm. soccer, and, yeah, I drove a minivan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To this day, my wife still loves her minivan. That was her favorite car of all time. We had a Toyota Sienna, and she loved it. Well, I you know, had but, a, a Ford Windstar, and I loved it. Um, and it wasn't yeah. the high-end model. It just did what we needed it to do, mm-hmm. and I used it. I mean, it's not like I had a bunch of space that I didn't need. I, there was a reason why I bought a minivan. Yeah. Well, I, t- I typically buy used cars, and that was uh, I bought that Infiniti that I talked about was the first new car we ever bought. And then shortly thereafter, we bought a brand-new Toyota Sienna for her, and we actually selected the colors that she wanted and waited for that that car to come in. I remember the dealer calling us and going, we have a green one on the lot. You can come down and have it right now. We'll give you $1,000 off. And she, we, we went down and looked at it, and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she goes, and I could just tell by the look on her face. I said, you, you want to wait for the blue one, huh? And she goes, yep. I went, okay. I said, nope, we'll just wait for the one that we asked for. And uh, and so she loved that car because it was the color she wanted. She picked it out, and it was new. We drove it 240,000-plus miles before we finally uh, we ended up trading it in and got, a I think, a, a Camry or a... a, a I don't know. What's the little Toyota called? It's not a Camry. It's the little one. The um... Not the Tercel. That's old. The Toyota, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't a Celica. wasn't around anymore. It's the, I'm blanking on the name of it. But it was, it was the, not the subcompact, but the compact Toyota four-door sedan. And uh, drove that for a few years and then sold that too. So, you know, but we do drive things forever and ever and ever. And... I generally, you know, I'm not a big fan of buying a new car. I mean, granted, there's some beautiful new cars out there, but, you know, the, the value, you lose so much in value, like driving it off the lot. And it just seems like, I, you know, you're better off getting something that's a year or two old um, and going from there. But then it's always a little bit of a gamble because you never know what how it was treated before you got it, right? It's true. Well, yes, but you can, you can, I mean, if you buy it from a reputable seller, um, Right. And, um, then you're good, right? So, uh, like from from uh, enterprise car sales or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. You get it from the the car rental places. They have all the, the the logs on it, and they change the oil exactly on the schedule and all that kind of stuff. So that's usually a fairly good bet, regardless of miles. And uh, you know, and you can always go get the the fax report on it, and and uh, you know, make sure that it's not been in any fender benders that they're not talking about <laughs> or you know you know it was total i remember my brother bought a, a used car from a car dealer and the first time he had to have 
um, I don't know, some kind of work. Maybe they were doing brake work or something. And mm-hmm. they he got they got it up on the on the, the jack or whatever the block. And it said um, the guy goes, you know, your frame is bent, right? Now that should have totaled the car. It should never have been sold. Yeah. And and so you know he was he was really angry because oh, if you yeah. have a bent frame and you get in an accident, the car doesn't behave like it's designed to behave. It'll crumple. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a safety issue. That's really, really scary. Yep. Yeah, not to mention it'll never ride quite right, never handle quite right. You'll get tires that'll wear funny because things aren't lined up right because the frame's bent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, when you open up the car, you get underneath the car the first time and you start finding, you know, parts of, like, seaweed and stuff. And you go, you know, this thing's been in a lake. (laughs) It's like, oh, no. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. (laughs) I was, I was curious about that smell, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, is there any, anything happening in the tech world? Um, I'm sure there is. <laughs> There's, uh, you know, I mean, they started shipping the new um, uh, PlayStations and Xboxes, and so those are going to probably be hot items for Christmas for gamers. And they're hard to find when they're in stock. If you're in, if you're looking for one, when they're in stock, get it. Don't say, "Oh, I'll just wait and get it later," because it won't be around later. Um, so, you know, those things are are uh, are hard to find. Um, the GeForce Now games is available on iOS devices through Safari, and Fortnite is coming soon. GeForce Now is NVIDIA's streaming game service, and they've announced a, lo- uh, a launch with Safari integration that will bring Fortnite and other games to Apple's iOS devices through the browser. So you'll be able to do things, um, uh, get access to games <laughs> through the browser. the App Store. Right. And so, so it would be interesting to see how that plays out and whether... Um, uh, you know, Epic, who has been uh, uh, suing Apple for not letting them put their game Fortnite, or, or you know, let them put Fortnite on the on the App Store because they changed the way that you paid for stuff to go directly through them instead of through Apple, which is in violation of Apple's rules. It'll be interesting to see how this all works out. Um, but uh, apparently you can get go to the GeForce Now, can be accessed on iPhones and iPads through Safari by visiting the GeForce Now website. Uh, and it's four ninety nine a month for a founder's membership with a six-month subscription available for 25 bucks. So, um, yeah. So you buy, buy five, get six is basically the deal if you prepay for six months. So, yeah, you know, um, and they say they can get 1080p and 60 frames a second. And over 750 PC games are supported. So, they also wow. sell, by the way, if you're if people are interested in that kind of thing, a a unit that you snap into your uh, snap your phone into, and it holds the phone and gives you a game controllers on either side and buttons, and so you hold it just almost like you would a regular game controller, so that you're not trying to do things with your thumbs on a screen when an actual D-pad and, and joysticks would make more sense. And so, so can you play um, games like Roku, like. Fortnite through Roku and um, other smart TV um, uh, platforms? Generally not through um, smart TV type units, more through gaming units. And so they'll be available on Xbox and, and even uh, the Nintendo Switch has most of them available now. Depends on, on the game. Some of them are exclusive to you know either uh, PlayStation or Microsoft. I mean, most people who are 
are you know earnest game players want one of those two devices or they do it off of a custom built PC um, uh, Nintendo is a is lower powered but they they provide gaming slightly different style and different people more of a casual gaming experience and younger kids uh, and you know they've got a completely portable system now too so they just they just hit a different market um, and then uh, you know they certainly have the power to do it I mean, the, 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 the power exists in some of the machines, like the, the Apple um, TV units. Uh, they, they have a processor that's the same as is in some of the phones, so there's no reason that they couldn't uh, drive a game, you know, of that level. It so, just seems that if you want that big gaming, great gaming experience, having a you know, a big screen TV, like widescreen TV or whatever, mm-hmm. would make it that much better, right? Yeah. And I don't know if when you're doing this with, you know, through Safari, if you, you know, because you can on your iPhone share your your screen to uh, AirPlay 2 compatible TVs and any Apple TV. So, um, you know, you can share your screen onto the big screen and then watch it at, you know, 1080p resolution, 60 frames a second. But... You know, when you're sharing things across the air like that, you're also um, introducing a certain amount of, of lag as it broadcasts right. the screen because it's not physically connected. So, you know, but you're right. You know, most of those kind of things, you know, it's great to play them on, you know, as a portable game, but you really, they're designed for big screen TVs and, and console play. So how that translates um, will probably vary by game. So not being a huge gamer, it's not something that I dig into too much. Every once in a while, I go and try it just for fun. You know, like I might go get a subscription, you know, for one month for the five bucks and just give it a try and play a few games just to see how well that works. So do do you know, have you ever played, and I don't know if people are still playing these games because I'm not a gamer at all, but like like the, the, the games like World of Warcraft or... You know, mm-hmm. where there's this whole universe that you're, you know, developing characters in and, and you know, just pretending to be yeah. somebody else, essentially. Yeah. From what I have learned, and again, I'm not a huge gamer, but, but it seems to me like most people who are into gaming really specialize or, or target one game. In other words, you, you may play several games, but you become sort of an expert or a really big fan of one game. And you play that game to death. And, you know, and new, up you know, they, they have different seasons, just like TV shows, that come out and they update the games with better graphics and with new characters and things like that, at, you know, with each new season. Uh, and that's how they continue to then get revenue to do it. And, and things like World of Warcraft, they're still out there because people who love that game go back and play that game. I know there's people who play Destiny. Uh, it's another similar, um, you know, um, online massive multiplayer game. And, you know, if you play Destiny... You may play some of the other games, you may think they're fun, but you come back to Destiny regularly, you know. You have a crew that you run with, that you play as a team online, you know. You get on it at Thursday nights at, you know, 5 o'clock is when you get on with your with your, your buddies and you go out and you, you play Destiny. And, uh, you know, just like if you were to join a softball team or join a, a bowling team or something. And unlike softball and bowling, you can still play Destiny online with your buddies. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, maybe there's something to it. Maybe I should get into gaming since my bowling league is shut down. There you go. Not that I'm bitter. 
I had heard uh, a while back that one of the bowling alleys in Orange County had opened up with, you know, limited, you know, number of lanes and people spacing and stuff. And so I thought, okay, cool. This is like a month or two ago. I threw all my junk in my car and drove down there just to see if I could get in. And I got there and the fire department was driving away and they had a guy parked out front and the doors were all locked. I think they literally had just gotten shut down because they were breaking rules. <laughs> it's like, oh, boogers. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm risk adverse, but I would have risked it just to bowl a few games, just to roll my bowling balls again. You know, I miss it. I miss it. So in your, in your, in your um, uh, lottery, lottery winnings dream house, I don't know mm-hmm. if you buy lottery tickets or not. It will have a small bowling alley in it. Yeah, sure. Two lanes. You're like, small? It'll be full-sized. Yeah. No, two <laughs> lanes is all I need. You know, I need a good pair to practice on. And uh, and a good uh, machine that can set the oil patterns so that I can set the different pro oil patterns. So I can challenge myself. Make it hard. You know. And you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Because if you don't follow bowling, you could care less about not the oil at patterns. All. But... But uh, when the pros bowl, there's a variety of different uh, oil patterns that they lay down, and it significantly changes the way the ball reacts and when it breaks and how it turns as it goes down the down the down the lanes. And so, by changing oil patterns, you can make it significantly easier or more difficult. And traditionally, what was a, a house pattern, meaning what's normally on the on the lanes when like you and I would just go in and do open bowling, is an incredibly easy pattern that's basically a Christmas tree so that no matter where you throw the ball, it's designed to catch the dry and roll towards the head pin. Um, they very intentionally set up oil patterns on the lanes to stop that from happening when when they're doing tournaments or you know higher end bowlers are bowling. There you go. I learned something today. Yeah. So when you see those guys on TV, if you happen, well, I'm sure you don't watch bowling on TV because why would you? Um, but the professional bowlers, if you happen to ever catch a professional bowler on television by accident sometime when you're flipping channels and you see them getting a score and you go like, hey, I've seen a guy at the bowling alley do that. It's not the same. I'm just being realistic. I mean, why on earth it'd be like, you know, you know, when you're sitting around watching the guys fish on television, you'll learn that the catching the bass is much more difficult than catching a trout, you know? And I'm like, right. Okay. Cause that's what I do is sit around watching people fish, you know? Yeah. Not so much. It, yeah. You know, if, if, you know, you know, when I'm watching people fish, when I'm sitting with a plastic bag on my head, that's when I'm ready to start watching people fish. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> so are you planning on finding yourself at the bottom of a lake? Because I assume that's what you need. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I was just saying I'm going to go grab a uh, you know a grocery bag and stick it on my head and, and kill myself if I have to sit and watch people fish. Oh, you know. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, I'm not going to kill myself. And no, I'm not going to watch people fish either. Um, and, and I know there are people and I, and I get it. I'm a guy who sits and watch people, watches people bowl. You know, I get it. I understand. It's incredibly dull and boring to somebody who's not into it. But if you're into fishing, if you like fishing and, and if you even have done any kind of, they, they do have sport fishing where you can compete to catch the bigger fish and it's catch and release and you weigh your fish and you, you certify what you got and you let them go. And, um, I get it. If you're into it, then you want to watch it because it's interesting to you. It's just not a, you know, general population kind of interest. No. <laughs> you know? It's no just not. Break, there's no fast break fishing. Yeah, you no know, and it's and bowling. it's 
Yeah, exactly. And I get it. I understand. I watch bowling. Most people would go, you do what? The guy's rolling a plastic ball. That's interesting. Why? Explain that to me. And, you know, and it's sort of one of those things where if I have to explain it, it's just not interesting. <laughs> I get it. You know, but if you're out there trying to do it, watching somebody else do it is of interest. It's like the kids that go onto YouTube and you say, well, what's he doing? He's watching YouTube videos of somebody else playing a video game. And you're like, huh? Why does he just and go play the, the stupid video popular, game himself? Those are the most yeah. popular YouTube channels ever. They are. And, and it's because, you know, if you play that video game, watching somebody else play the video game is interesting because you see how they choose to solve the problems as they go through the game. And same thing happens in, in watching bowling. You know, I watch somebody uh, leave a bad leave and I see, you know, and then they'll replay it in slow motion. You can see what they did and how, what caused that. And then you can say, okay, here's how to avoid that. Or if it happens to you, here's how to resolve that. Here's, you know, here's how they chose to, to you know, they aimed for this pin to kick it across over to that pin instead of that pin over to this pin and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's about learning strategy and, you know, and, and so... You get into it, whatever that thing is that you're into. I suspect that if there's people who out who, who who spend a lot of time quilting, they probably would be happy to sit and watch a quilting video because they would say, you know, maybe I'll pick up something that I don't already do from somebody who's really, really, you know, experienced at quilting. I can't imagine me watching somebody quilt, but, you know, there's got to be somebody out there who likes quilting and would say, I'd watch a video if they'd show me how to make a, you know, do this stitch or that stitch, right? Indeed. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would bet that you would be interested in watching uh, fun things you can do with your cat. Okay, I do watch cat videos. But I'm not sure. Lots of people watch cat videos. Uh, they do. They're very, they're very popular. I don't even have any cats anymore. Not at this point in time. But I, I'll watch the occasional cat video. I will admit <laughs> to watching much more wiener dog videos than the average person. <laughs> But I have it. I have it out there. It's because my daughter sends them to me. <laughs> I have a daughter that scours the internet for. She actually subscribes to funny wiener dog video channels, and when she sees one that is funny, that is you know, she'll then you know link uh, link me to it and say, "Hey, check this one out." Hey, so um, can you name someone who is this is Fred. specific someone? Yes. He's 59 years old and has already written three memoirs. And the third is at the top of the New York Times bestseller list right now. Barack Obama. Yeah. He sold 890,000 copies in the first 24 hours uh, of uh, uh, of sales. As soon as that book dropped yeah. 24 hours later, he sold His fourth one's going to be called I'm Black and I'm Back. <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's on track mm -hmm. to be the best-selling presidential memoir in modern history. Yeah, um, yeah, and Penguin Random House is very very happy. They're thrilled with the first day. Oh sales. sure, hitting. I'm sorry. I said, oh sure. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they? Holy be? moly! That's that's a publisher's gold mine. So the um, yeah. The only I was gonna say, by a former go ahead. White House resident to come even close to that early pace is Michelle Obama's Becoming, which sold <laughs> 725,000 copies on its first day. Yeah, whose funds went into the same bank account. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I yep. think they're doing okay. I think they're doing 10 okay. 10 million worldwide since 2018. And I'm one of those. I bought it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, whether you like their politics or not, they both are incredibly well spoken, and uh, and you know, and you can't say that about every one of our national politicians. You know, um, I'm thinking about Trump's memoirs. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, or even even uh, you know, uh, the most recent Bush. You know, he was not the the most. He was very homespun, but he wasn't the mo- most prolific speaker or the most. Um, Articulate Eloquent? speaker, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't articulate his his thoughts sometimes as well as one might might uh, think. You know, I mean, there's a reason that strategery is a is a meme, right? Yeah. Uh, Even though he didn't say that, that was Will he Carroll. didn't. I know, I know. But there's a reason that it's funny is because it it hits on a very very true sounding note. You know, yes. <laughs> Everybody believes he could say it because, well, you know, uh, yes, yeah. And actually, he did say it just after the fact. <laughs> When I think, okay, I think he, then, then after the fact, he said, you know, I'm not the one who said strategery. I think that's what he said. He's <laughs> like, great, we got a quote of him saying the word. That's all we needed. Um, but yeah, it, uh, uh, you know, I, he's an interesting guy. I mean, obviously people find him intriguing. He's selling books like, like they're going out of style and, you know, they're not, they'll print more. Um, <laughs> but, uh, counting Kindle books, which don't have to be printed at all. Right. Talk about the biggest ripoff in history, right? We're paying the same, essentially the same amount. I mean, they discount it some, but but you know, it's it's sometimes I you go on look online, and the Kindle book costs more than the paperback. And you're going, how on earth is the economics of that working? And I'm not yeah. saying specifically for that book, but I I, I have yeah, I no, have looked I'm at right, books. Right there with you. I, I, I I when I go to buy a book, I always check. Yeah, I always check Kindle versus um, not Kindle, and sometimes the Kindle's more expensive. But there are some books that I very very much want to have a uh, you know hard copy of. There are others that it's like okay, fine, I, I'll read it. You know, as an yeah. ebook, no problem. Reading a Bible on a uh, on a Kindle device just is not satisfying at all. Mm-hmm. So that's one book that has to be a book. Yeah, I have issues with books that are um, um, like researchy type of books. You know, yeah, like technical manuals or technical books on Kindle. Right. I, I have trouble with that, and I know that you can use the Kindle to go and highlight. In fact, I accidentally highlight stuff about every third turn of the page on the stupid things. But um, uh, you know that, and then I then I unhighlight it. But uh, you know, I just bump a finger across it because I do most of my Kindle reading using a Kindle app on either my phone or on uh, an iPad. I have a Kindle, but I don't use that for reading that often. Um, but the um, uh, you know, the idea that they will charge more for that. It's like, you know, creating bits to share onto my device costs you nothing. No, and yet you're charging me. Yeah, but they're paying the author for the paperback, too. All the all the the difference between the paperback and the Kindle is, you know, they're exactly the same costs right up till the actual physical manufacture of a book. And you're telling me that you can kill a tree, create paper, print this on the page, bind it, and mail it to me more cheaply than you can copy some bits across the internet to me. 
That's what you're telling me. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, I'm going. Right. You know, I I know how the internet works, and that's a lie. Let me tell you right <laughs> up front. <laughs> I know the internet. The internet is a friend of mine, and uh, sure. you, sir, are no internet. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I that, that's irritating. And yet it's it's the standard too. I mean, they they actually dominate that area. Absolutely dominate it. You know, I know for a while there were some Sony readers out there. Sony quit making them, and Barnes and Noble tried to make a reader, and uh, and sell it books, e- e-books, and they still have there. I think, as far as I know, they still sell an e-book, but I can't imagine anybody. You know, I mean, I guess they must have some people buying them, but uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Kindle is the standard for e-books, and it is owned wholly by Amazon. So, we are about out of time. No, no. Hey, the number one book showing up on Barnes & Noble is Barack Obama, A Promised Land. Imagine that. As if he needed more marketing. (laughs) So. So. Anyway, yes, we are out of time, so we got to wrap it. We got to wrap it. So, thank you much for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.